Welcome, Refuge family, to our adult Sunday school class, and we're going to be continuing our series on pleasing the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray to start this so that we can just get our minds ready for what God wants to show us in His Word. Lord, we thank you that we can be together with you in this way. We thank you for modern technology that allows us to still be in Sunday school when it's a little bit difficult. Oh God, I pray that your hand would be upon every person listening, that you would speak into their lives, and that you would help them, Lord, to receive your word. Help me to speak your words in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series of lessons has been about pleasing the Lord. And if you'll remember, um, our main uh, scripture from the beginning of this lesson has been Micah 6 verse 8. And it says, He hath showed thee, O man, he being God, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? We're talking about uh, being pleasing to the Lord and what God really desires of us and what is really pleasing to him. And um, we've talked last week about doing justly. And this week we're going to talk about loving mercy and how as disciples we have to choose to love mercy what does that look like? Our key scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. And it says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. When we are wronged, we are presented with the opportunity to express mercy. And those who choose to forgive are being merciful. History tells us that rabbis who were contemporaries of the Lord Jesus Christ taught that a person who does you harm should be forgiven three times. And they, they thought those three chances for forgiveness uh, was plenty and that they were doing a really good thing just to um, to show that mercy three times. But it was perhaps with this in mind that Jesus came to Jesus with an observation that he presented as a question. Peter's observation was likely intended to show how devout he was. He wanted Jesus to see, you know, I'm paying attention here. And Peter had already witnessed his fellow disciples and their competitive nature as they argued among themselves who was the greatest. And so Peter, he wanted to showcase his superiority as he expressed what he felt was surpassing expectations. He wanted to be the... um the one in the class that the teacher loved the most, the teacher's pet. So Peter asked Jesus, well, should we forgive seven times? Having learned from Jesus, Peter had decided he would be more than two times as forgiving as what the rabbis were teaching. Peter felt somewhat secure in how he posed the question, and he thought, well, surely Jesus would say, what a great commitment to the mercy of forgiveness. But Jesus responds, 70 times seven, and that far surpasses Peter's idea. The way that the Greek text is written, the count toward 490 began again at the start of each new day. And if that was the case, Jesus was saying, we are to forgive someone 490 times each day. And we are to do this 
just continually until infinity. In fact, the statement was made seemingly to negate any counting or limiting at all. The point was you shouldn't count the times. There shouldn't be a limit on how you are willing to forgive. And Peter's question prompts a parable. Jesus tells of a king who learned of a man who owed him 10,000 talents. It is estimated that 10,000 talents would be equal to approximately 3,600 American dollars. The man who owed the debt was a common man who probably had limited means. The debtor had no hope of paying what he owed. And so the king had decided that he would sell the man's possessions. And so by this means, the king would at least gain a little portion of what he was owed. What the king proposed to do was was a lot more than just what we would see in modern bankruptcy. And as a result, this man and his family would become slaves. For, For this debt the man could not repay, his family would be enslaved. Not just him, his entire family. Under the law of the time, this king had every right to sell the debtor and his family into slavery. The king would never regain the 10,000 talents, but he would get, as the expression goes, his pound of flesh. The debtor and his family would not continue their life as they had known it. A new norm of life as slaves would be established for the debtor, his wife, and their children. And this was not an uncommon thing. This would have been uh, culturally at the time something that very possibly could have happened, the story that Jesus was telling. Now the king would regain a small portion of his money by selling the debtor's possessions. But more importantly, the king's treatment of this debtor who was not able to pay his debts would serve as a lesson to others. In the kingdom, it would be said, if you borrow money from the king, be sure you can pay it back. And if you don't, your kids and your grandkids will become slaves. Despite his impossible situation, the debtor appeals to the king, begs the king, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee, says the debtor. His expressed intent was absurd. At the time, an average salary was around 300 talents. So repaying 10,000 talents was far beyond the average man's ability. Yet, at the debtor's appeal, the king was moved with compassion And he forgave the man his debt of 10,000 talents. He forgave a debt of $3,600,000. And the debtor was subject to the king. He was not a prince of the kingdom. He had no personal relationship with the king. And still the king treated this man and his debt as he would have treated a grandson or a son. The king's behavior, as Jesus described, was showing of mercy. It was not just by forgiving the debt that the king showed mercy. The king first shows mercy in this story in taking time to listen to the debtor's appeal. Those who love mercy are willing to listen. In a world of sound bites, taking time to listen is more significant than ever. Decades ago, an ad in a California newspaper read, I will listen to you for 30 minutes for $15. The person who posted the ad was constantly busy. People needed and people need someone who will listen. And to listen was this first act of mercy by this king. And then what we choose not to do can show mercy. See, the king 
um, he elected not to carry out his plan to sell the man and his family and their possessions. And this was merciful. The king showed mercy in not doing what he had every right to do. Forgiveness is an active display of mercy. And what the king did was both judgment withheld and kindness extended. Those who love mercy accept and adapt when there is a personal loss. Um, the king, he lost a lot of funds here. They were gone. He could spend days fretting about his loss. He could have, um, he could have just lingered there and become angry or he could have the debt removed from the records. The king's action was not limited to allowing the debtor to continue living with his family in their home. So the king cleared the debt. Those who love mercy are not resenting with their kindness. Mercy is expansive and can be expensive. The king in Jesus' parable, he loved mercy. And the question for us is, do we love mercy in the same way? In what is addressed so far, the parable is a feel-good story. Unfortunately, that's not the end of this parable. Jesus then took the opportunity to show the opposite of mercy by continuing the story. Like many of Jesus' parables, this one had a contrast. Jesus helped Peter and us to understand that every beneficiary of mercy does not also love mercy all the time. Some who benefit from mercy do not love demonstrating mercy to others. And we see that in this story. The fellow who had experienced amazing mercy from the king encountered another man. And this man owed him a hundred pence. While 100 pence was a significant debt, it was minuscule when compared to 10,000 talents. The man who had received forgiveness for an outrageous debt was now in the role of the creditor, and his response was the opposite of the king. The man demands repayment of the 100 pence. In contrast to this king, to the king, his creditor, this creditor wanted his money and he wanted all of it immediately. The encounter actually becomes physical in the story as the man who was owed took the debtor by the throat. The Greek word indicates that he throttled his debtor. This man who had recently experienced great mercy was choking the light, life out of another person who owed him comparably a pittance, nothing. And while being choked, the man who owed 100 pence appealed for patience. He just needed time to repay the debt. However, the man owed 100 pence, the man who was owed the 100 pence would not listen. The debtor received no opportunity to explain or to offer a plan for repayment. Money, a debt due was the point of leverage for both the king and the man who who was owed 100 pence. However, the debt or even the amount owed was not the issue. But how we deal with other people is what Jesus wanted to teach. The questions here are, do our actions toward others reveal the genuineness of our relationship with God? And if you think yes, then, then how? If, if you think that, that your relationship, your actions towards others reveal that you have a genuine relationship with God, how, how is that? How are you showing that? Have you, have you ever been around somebody like that? They're just, 
they they are so much like the Lord that you just you want to be around them more. I I have definitely been around people like that before and and I know that they have a relationship with God because of how they interact with me. Simon Peter felt that he was a good example of the teaching of Christ because he thought well he was willing to forgive seven times in one day. But Jesus was teaching him that we have to stop measuring out our mercy. It wasn't about numbers. It wasn't about how many times or if we could outdo someone else. Whether we love mercy or we only value mercy, when we benefit from the kindness, our response involves people. The man who had owed 10,000 talents was angry. And perhaps he was angry because... He had been in a situation where he was had to face his bad management. So he had left the meeting with the king, disappointed in himself and angry in the predicament that he got into. The immense debt that he had had, had been compared to his ability to earn and repay, and he just felt somewhat worthless, possibly. He had been forced to imagine a life of slavery for himself and for his family. And this dire situation possibly caused him to beg for an opportunity to redeem himself. While grateful for the forgiven debt, it's possible that the man, the, the man was angry and he needed mercy for his family to survive. He was angry that he even needed mercy to begin with. His aggressive reaction was not about that hundred pence that was owed him. Instead, his ruthless acts possibly defined how he was feeling about himself and his situation at that time. People who love mercy and those who do not can be easily identified. You can tell the difference between someone who loves mercy and someone who doesn't. You find that identity in their behavior toward anyone a bit lower on any scale of life. You can tell. It's how you treat those that are a little bit lower than you in life, in in job or in circumstance. How do you treat those people? Because that's when you can really tell if you love mercy. An educated person can be merciful or unmerciful toward those with less education. The wealthy can be merciful or unmerciful towards those who have less. We who are born again can be merciful or unmerciful to the unsaved. A man skilled with tools can be merciful or unmerciful towards those with no similar skill. Those serving in a restaurant can be merciful or unmerciful towards the waitstaff, those who are being served can be merciful or unmerciful towards those that are serving them. An employer can be merciful or unmerciful to the employees. Mercy begins with feeling compassion. And those who love mercy act in a way that makes someone else's life easier. I think one of the big ones there that of that list that sticks out to me is the one about someone being served in a restaurant. Have you ever been with somebody and it's, you know, it's the worst, I think, like after church service and you go with some brothers and sisters to the restaurant and the poor waitress or waiter might be having a bad night or maybe they got the order wrong and the, the people that you're with are just ruthless towards that server and they just complain the entire time or they're mean to the server and you know, I just, it, you never know what that person's going through. You never know what the server is dealing with or what they've had to deal with that day. And, you know, it's just really not that difficult to show a little mercy to somebody. 
because you just really don't know what their day has been like or or what's been going on in their life and there they are serving you and you know some people might say well I am paying for their service you know or whatever it is and and to me I can that is one of the biggest tells is when you're in a situation like that where someone is serving you and maybe they don't do the job you think they should what's your reaction are you able to show them mercy I, I hope so. I hope that we are because that's just such a small example that really brings to the surface uh, our relationship with God like we were talking about. The man who owed a 100 pence back in our uh, parable, he was put into prison until he could pay the debt. And this is a time when being unmerciful is foolish because while in prison, how was the debtor to earn any money to repay that 100 pence? The angry creditor was showcasing what he had the power to do, but it wasn't going to ever get him his money. Mercy is love in action. The Lord requires that we love doing intentional acts of kindness to others. Loving mercy is not expressed by feeling compassion for someone, although it probably does begin there. Instead, loving mercy is when the feeling of compassion moves us to act. And and sometimes loving mercy means doing what you know is, is the right thing or the kind thing or the merciful thing, even when you don't feel that compassion. Even when you don't have the emotion that goes behind it, but you're still willing to act in a merciful way. Those who love mercy have a habit of acting with kindness, love, and mercy toward people with whom they have no relationship. Those who love mercy are not those who do a single act in the whim of emotion. Instead, they are consistent. You can count on such a person to be consistently merciful. There are certain things that God prioritizes. Some attitudes and behaviors have values above others. The Lord Jesus Christ is merciful and he wants his people to love mercy. Our priorities can be misaligned with those of the Lord Jesus. This series of lessons about what pleases God, of course, I reminded you, began with the story of the Old Testament prophet Micah. The Israelites of Micah's time were content to bring sacrifices. They felt certain their participation at the temple matched God's values and what he wanted of them. The priests and the people of Israel were surprised when Micah, the resident prophet, said in Micah 6, 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. And they thought they were doing enough. They thought that these sacrifices were like, just that's all that God wants of us. But Micah shows them that there was, uh, it was more about their heart, what was in their heart, what was their attitude towards each other, towards one another. Mercy as a divine and human attribute. We have to understand the word mercy. We use the word often in, in sayings and cliches like, Lord, have mercy or mercy me. But truthfully, mercy is not so casual. Mercy is a defining trait of Jesus Christ. Two verses express the dimensions of his mercy that we'll read. And one of them is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. It says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. They are new every morning. And 1 Chronicles 16.34, Oh, give 
thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Jesus' mercy is new each morning. It has no half-life. It endures forever and ever and ever. The Hebrew word that is translated mercy in Micah 6 is elsewhere represented by the word loving kindness. They can be interchangeable. The concept in this Hebrew word is not easily defined by just one single word. Uh, whether it's mercy or loving kindness, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's so much more than that. Mercy as an attribute of God or man is an act of kindness or love shown to someone. Mercy is the degree of kindness a member of a healthy family shows another family member. If a grandchild calls to say, I'm out of gas at the corner, we're compelled to act. If a longtime friend says, I'm moving on Saturday and can use some help, we find ourselves loading boxes and furniture that weekend. Those are acts of help and kindness, and such acts are expressions of mercy. Those who love mercy show similar kindness to people that maybe are not in their family or who are not close friends. God's mercy and loving kindness are not limited to those that are near him and neither should ours be. Mercy can pass between a guest and a host or a master and a servant or a king and one of his subjects. Outside the context of scripture, acts of mercy presuppose the existence of a relationship between the people involved. Those who love mercy have decided to treat someone as they would a sibling, a parent, a child, a grandchild, or a close friend. For humanity to love mercy is seldom just a natural response. It doesn't just come naturally so often. Loving mercy and acting with mercy require an intentional decision. I am going to do this. I am going to act as though I love mercy. It's, it's not about an emotion here. It's about how we know we should be responding according to the word of God, according to what Jesus would have done. Many historians believe that central to the rise of Christianity was the simple fact that Christians generously loved each other and their neighbors. So in the beginning... When the church was just being born, the thing that set them apart from any other religious act or organization was that they loved each other and they loved their neighbors, just as the Lord had commanded them to do. Historians point out that in the ancient world, mercy was widely seen as a character defect that ran counter to justice. So it was kind of looked down upon. Justice demanded that people got what they deserved, and it was seen as appropriate. Mercy extended grace, love, and kindness to people who had done nothing to deserve it. Oh, that kind of sounds like me before the Lord saved me. And yet Christians valued mercy, even though society did not. Christian communities became places where people tended to live longer and healthier lives because when they suffered sickness, poverty, or mishap, they had brothers and sisters in Christ who provided for their needs. Christians extended love way beyond the boundaries of family and congregation, even to their pagan neighbors. In A.D. 251, a great plague struck the Greco-Roman world. 
Memories were revived of a plague a century earlier, earlier in which more than a third of the population had died, and so everyone was very afraid. Those who could afford it fled to the countryside. Those who could not remained in the cities. And when they went to the temples, they found them empty because even the priests had fled. It's to the pagan, they would go to the pagan temples to pray, and, and the priests weren't even there. They had fled. The streets were filled with those who had become infected because their families would push them out the door and leave them homeless because of this because they had become infected. Christian communities, however, took an entirely different approach. They saw it as their responsibility to love the sick and dying, and so they took them into their homes and they nursed them. This action meant that many people recovered who otherwise would have died. Historians suggest that elementary nursing could have reduced the mortality rate by as much as two-thirds. But it also cost a number of Christian caregivers their life. In the early church, Henry Chadwick comments, The practical application of charity was probably the most potent single cause of Christian success. The pagan comment, see how these Christians love one another, reported by Tertullian, was not irony. Christian charity expressed itself in care for the poor, for widows and orphans, in visits to brethren in prison or condemned to the living, to living death of labor in the mines and social action in time of calamity like famine, earthquake, pestilence, or war. So striking was the Christian commitment to generous love that when the 4th century emperor Julian sought to restore paganism to the empire, he instructed the pagan priesthood to follow the examples of Christians. He said, why then do we think that it is enough? Why do we not observe that it is their Christian benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead and, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism? which was Julian's word for Christianity. He said, I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of their virtues, for it is disgraceful that when no Jew has ever has to beg and the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. And the emperor Julian in his mind, their pagan religion was the true religion, and, and he could see Christianity growing, and he knew the reason. It was because of their love for mercy and their love for mercy being shown towards one another. And he knew for anything else to succeed, it would have to have that same kind of reaction. What he didn't know was that it was the spirit in those Christians that gave them the ability to love mercy like Jesus loves mercy. It was his example that allowed them to do that, and that is why they were so successful. And we need to love mercy, and more than that, we need to make sure that we are showing mercy. Infinity, every day, as often as it is required of us. That's what Jesus asked. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ability to do this. We know that we can show mercy. We know that we can show forgiveness because your spirit dwells in us, because you give us the power to do so, even when we might not have the emotion connected to it. I pray this week, give each of us the opportunity to show mercy, to love mercy, 
to act as though we love mercy. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we want people to see that. We want people to know who we are because of the way we act towards each other and towards those that we don't yet know. We love you and we thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen.